This fourth Sunday of Eastertide, the lectionary takes us to a rich story of climate change, abuse, disease, slavery, terrorism, war. Are you most moved by the suffering of children or the elderly? Or refugees? Do you cry out for those who fall into a life of addiction or hatred? Those who reject God Himself. Obviously, we could go on. That is not a complete list. As followers of Christ, as people on the planet, we are often shattered. By the brokenness of the world around us. We've prayed for some of those things today. And when we see images and hear stories and feel the impact of circumstances even in our own lives, we know that something is wrong. That this is not the life that God intended us to live. Now I want to ask you another question. What causes you to act on that compassion? To not just feel the pain but to do something about it, to pray, to reach out, to give money, to make a phone call, to go. Is it a personal experience that you have that galvanizes you to make a difference for what breaks your heart? Is it an injustice that you've endured? Is it seeing an inspirational witness of a changed life, modeling from your parents, a call from God? What is it? You and I are instruments of Christ's love, and we are called to join God at working to overcome the brokenness of our world, which often begins with how we feel, but then turns into so much more. And some of us choose our profession based on wanting to affect change. Many of us give our time and our resources to make the world, with God's help, a little more like he intended it to be. One of the overriding messages of the story that we read today is mercy. There are three main characters, and what they display when they are called upon to help is a deep compassion when they understand the needs that are before them. In the story that we read today, we see mercy extended, and they do something for someone that that someone cannot do for themselves. The characters in the story provide what is necessary to those who are vulnerable. And I think that there is proof in this text that the body of Christ acts in concert with one another to show real mercy and to give help. We see here the church doing the work that it is supposed to be doing. Giving intangible ways to the poor, comforting those who mourn, and being a conduit to God's miraculous intervention. The story today gives us hope because we understand the human predicament and we understand the God who intervenes. So let's read together Acts 9, 36 through 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, 
They sent two men to, to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent all of them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Let's pray. God, we give you great praise for this beautiful story. And Lord, all of us are here to listen to what your spirit wants to say to us. Thank you that you are the God of hope and miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Pastor Denny told us the story about Saul and his conversion. And after a few days of debriefing, Saul almost right away begins teaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. But Saul is in a no-man's land. Because the Jews who knew him to be adamantly against the Christians cannot even believe that he has become one of them. And now they're looking for a way to get rid of him. On the other hand, the believers don't trust him because they think that he is still out to get them. And it isn't until Barnabas gives witness of Saul's teaching that Saul has a changed life that they trust him. So Saul goes back to preaching and the disciples help to protect him when um, he is threatened. Verse 831 is important for a bridge for us for today. It says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was encouraged and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. Luke takes us now from Paul, Saul, and turns us to look at Peter who is traveling around caring for God's people. Earlier in chapter 9, Peter healed a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. Now he has a miraculous encounter with a woman who died. And Luke is showing us that the church is being used to bring people to himself. And there are different ways that this is happening. And there are different ways that the foundation is being laid for what you and I will experience now. In the story that we read, I see a ribbon of mercy. That undergirds the actions of those here, Tabitha and Peter and the Lord himself. So I want us to reflect on those who extended mercy to those in need and how those actions affected what came next. And as we focus our attention on them, I pray that God will affirm us with his truth, both for our hearts and for the compassionate acts that we offer to those in the world. So let's start with Tabitha who is compelled to act in mercy to the poor around her. Luke records that Tabitha, also known by her Greek name of Dorcas, both mean gazelle, was a female disciple. Surely there were other female disciples, but this is one of the only times it's recorded in Scripture. And Luke uses the term follower of Jesus to describe her. He tells us that she was always doing good. Her life's work was to help the poor. She had compassion for those who were needy. 
They couldn't help themselves. And so she did what she could to alleviate their plight. She made robes and other clothes for them to wear, which must have given them dignity just beyond the gift. A person is assessed and often judged by their garments. So making clothes for the poor, she lifts their spirits and possibly their status in the world. I think that things that are made by hand are such treasures. Now I know that nothing in this time of life was made by machines. I know that there were no mass-produced garments, so everything was made by hand. But there's something special about someone making something specifically just for you. My favorite things that we put in our church baby baskets are the hats and the booties that are made by those in our church. Because when someone makes something for us with their own hands, it's a precious gift. It's been sewn or knitted with love, prayed over usually by those who understood that there was something needed by the recipient in this season of life. Dorcas gave her time and her talent in weaving so others could have something to wear that was meaningful. So they could know that the body of Christ was thinking of them. And helping them and praying for them so that the person who received the garment would know that they were not forgotten in society, in their poverty, that they were being clothed in God's love. Now, there are many ways to preach the gospel. There are countless ways for us to extend the mercy of the Lord to those around us. And many of them don't include words. Many of them are actions that we daily do by reaching out. Last week, we had members of our Justice Outreach Leadership Team, also known as JOLT, on the deck to highlight the organizations that people in our congregation volunteer for and support. And we estimate that each week, all of us give over 500 hours a week to support the vulnerable in our city with countless, countless organizations. When we put that together with all of those who are working together for good in just Santa Barbara alone, we recognize this city is being impacted hugely, and we praise God for that. We volunteer not for recognition or accolade, but simply because the call of God has made it very evident that we are to go. So have you found your place of service yet? Dorcas is known for her good deeds. What are you known for in your life? How does God use you in unique ways to love your neighbor as yourself to how does the lord press on you to do good to your neighbor to treat those around you with dignity and love and compassion who have none dorcas is an inspirational model of giving so let's think about her service today and reflect on our life now let's switch our view to peter who reminds us here that mercy compels us to go with haste to those who are hurting Just when we're getting to know Tabitha a little bit in the story, she dies unexpectedly of a short illness. She's placed in an upper room, a place of honor, and they prepare her for burial. The believers knew that Peter was close by, and so they send for him. Why they do this is not evident. Why he goes is not evident. My best guess is that he's a shepherd. And he knows that there's sorrow in the flock. A beloved person in the early church community has passed away and they need comfort. But Peter is 12 miles away. So the disciples go quickly to find him. And presumably on foot, he rushes back, probably using the same mode of transportation, his sandals. 
and he goes to Joppa. And when he arrives, we all know what he is walking into in that room. Now, in telling the story, Luke sets the scene in such a way that we can imagine ourselves there. We feel the, we feel the stillness of Peter, who's been rushing to get there. And as he pauses before walking into the room, he assesses what's happening. We see the shock of death and the familiar emotions that the mourners are going through, both logistically and emotionally, to say goodbye. We hear the widows crying. They know the sting of death. They're remembering, they're sharing with Peter what Dorcas was like. Maybe we see the bright colors of the garments she made for the poor being held up to the display for Peter to see. We smell the perfumed oil they are using on her body. We sense the finality of death as we gaze on her face where there now is no life. It's such an important work of the Lord to be with those who grieve. It must have been a gift for those who loved Dorcas that Peter would come and be with them in their time of loss. You see the love that they have for her, their fellow worker and friend. Maybe some of those for whom she made garments were there. As pastors, sometimes we rush to the bedside of a dying loved one. We've been asked to come, and so we go. And oftentimes when we get there, some of you are already there. You're there making food. You're there comforting. You're there cleaning. You're there doing whatever it takes so that the person you love in their time of loss knows that they're not alone. You want to bring comfort. These are sacred moments of grace that God has given to us. God sends us into a hurting world to give his comfort. Peter didn't have to go. He was 12 miles away. He was busy doing things. But he understood that when you're asked to come, you go and you bring hope to be a channel of God's grace. Peter doesn't put it off when he's implored to come. He just goes. And he goes to bring whatever he can to the place of sorrow and death. In our grief, we all are incredibly vulnerable. We cry out to God to help us, and he meets us with his presence, but most especially with the love of his people. We who are not created to die need the comfort of our Savior in those moments. We need the comfort of the body of Christ because we have to face a world now without the person that we love with us. Thanks be to God that we do not live as people who have no hope. And the shared experience of grief in this life gives way to joy in the anticipation of what is next for those who trust in Christ. Lastly, we see here that the mercy of God compels the Lord himself to act on our behalf. I wonder what Peter's prayer was on his 12-mile sojourn to Joppa. If he's walking, we estimate he probably had like, what, three to four hours at least, if he's on foot, to pray over what would happen when he arrived at Dorcas's house. I also wonder what, when the Lord revealed to him that this was not going to be just a regular pastoral visit. That there was something different that was going to take place here, something miraculous. Sorrow and loss remind us that while we live in resurrection life, we also live in the not-quite-yet fullness of the life that Jesus has promised to all of us who believe in him. Mourning those who die can cause us to live in fear. It can cause us to lose our faith. It can cause us to become bitter. 
And yet the resurrection of Christ promises us that something is different. But we wish that things were different now. As the Lord ministers to us, he always brings new life out of the old. In this case, the new life literally was a resurrection of Dorcas. And in a way, very much reminiscent of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter, Peter orders everyone out of the room. And he stops to pray. How God wanted to act on his own mercy became known to Peter. And he tells Tabitha to get up. And by the power of the raised Christ, she gets up. He then calls the believers back to show that she is alive. The crying in the room is then turned to great joy. And what was done for Dorcas becomes a witness of the Lord's power, which is translated to many choosing to believe in Jesus themselves. God is sovereign and great. Jake had us sing those songs today of God's greatness and power and sovereignty. His power is unmatched throughout the universe. And he uses his power to alleviate our suffering and pain in many ways. But this is a rough story for some of us. Because we all want in our lives what happened to Dorcas sometimes. We want an earthly resurrection for those we love. Especially those who have been taken too soon in their lives. Especially those whom we love dearly. Even before they pass on, sometimes we fight against death and we beg the Lord to spare us our loved ones. Trusting in his will and knowing he is good brings comfort, but we wonder sometimes, why are some spared and some are not? Because even when we trust in his mercy and we believe in his hope, and we know that the ones that we love are in his presence and in glory and out of pain, still sometimes we ask for the impossible. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. We are vulnerable in death. And God reaches out to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But let's remember that mercy takes many forms. In this case, it was physical resurrection. But the principle is one that we can cling to. Wherever the risen Lord is present, there is power to overcome any earthly affliction, which brings suffering. Miracles of being raised to new life happen daily. Because of Dorcas's life, because of her resurrection, people believed. Rick stood today and asked that people would believe because of his mom's death. That people would come to know Jesus and trust him in new ways. Because we know that this is not all there is. We are witnesses of the Lord's miracles every day. And we give testimony so that others will trust him too. Even when our will is not realized... Even when what we want doesn't happen, the healing or the raising from the dead, we give thanks for God's hand among us. Grief is discouraging sometimes for those who have faith. Where is God? Yet there are many ways of being healed. So let us not simply focus on the physical, but what is eternal in God's kingdom. The church looks at the needs in life with the eyes of the Savior. And they ask the Lord how they might minister to what is happening on around them. This comes as a result of God's mercy so freely given, poured out on us, which causes us to know his love and want to give it away. 
And in God's economy, nothing is too big. Nothing is too insignificant. And we all need to be in vigilant prayer for God's spirit to move in us. Because we don't know, like Peter, when we're going to be asked or moved to act. We don't know when we're going to get a phone call asking us to come in compassion to those who are suffering or grieving. God's spirit is available to all of us and he will direct our paths. So what pierces your heart in this world? What are you doing about it? Even as I finished this sermon yesterday, we heard that Pope Francis brought refugees back to Rome from a Greek island. He went to go visit them and he was moved. Maybe some of you who have have had friends who've gone to an orphanage somewhere and just couldn't leave without taking a child with them. Pope Francis did the same thing and wants to give someone a better life. We trust that maybe the spirit pressed in on him and he had compassion to bring them home. Not everything is ours to do, but we must listen attentively to what God wants uniquely us to to do. Hear what another leader of the church, Pope John Paul II, says. The church lives an authentic life when she professes and proclaims mercy, the most stupendous attribute of the creator and of the redeemer, and when she brings people close to the sources of the Savior's mercy, of which she is the trustee and the dispenser. May we continue to bring people close to the Savior's mercy. Let us pray.